0: Somewhere in between the radical arguments of today's world topics of sports, faith, politics, and the economy lies evasive conclusions called the truth. Somewhere in between has a mission of getting to the truth, that place where revelation lies and wisdom prevails.
1: Welcome everybody to episode six, high atop the uh, towers, you might call them the cold towers of Colorado, Cobo Banker offices in the Denver Tech Center with Coach Moles, and you're here with Mark Cooper, former offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos, and we have a special, special guest today, a dear yes, friend of mine, do. dear friend, um, who who uh, I've known since 1983 when we were being drafted, Big Dave Remington of the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And uh, welcome to the show, Dave.
0: Hey, could you try oh, saying Cornhuskers again? He, Dave, he didn't quite get the Cornhuskers part again. He said Cornhuskers. No, Cornhuskers. <laughs> you just take the wax out Nobody of it. Nobody knows
2: what a Cornhusker is. It's, it's, I guess they went to Huskers now. Back in my day, it was Cornhuskers. Yeah. And they try to go modern on it, so we're Huskers
0: now. Good well, good point. I played at Colorado University, Dave, and we used to say, Huck the Cornfuskers. <laughs> that,
1: that's a, that's so old <laughs> okay we'll go past that, that was just. funny
0: we laughed it
1: was good stuff it was uh, that's you, good it, stuff it was just marginal at best oh yeah all so. right go ahead anyway dave so uh so this i gotta tell a quick story just because it's it's just a quick story and then we're going to get into dave's accolades because i'm not sure dave and, and i know you're and he so we're gonna be talking to one of the most uh modest guys just nicest people you've ever met in your life. Okay. Um, and we're we're at the combines down. I don't remember which combine we we're at, Dave, but we were at one of them and Mott, Steve Mott and I and a bunch of linemen, I think Grimes and handful of us are all standing around and we're like, Dave, hey come 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 run a 40 man or let's do the bench press or come come get in line with us and do some of this stuff. And Dave Dave just calmly looks over at me and goes Coop, how much higher than one can you go?
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I said that. Oh come on! I, I would probably do anything to get out of running a four. No, no. was a different era. You, you pretty much did everything they asked. Oh You know there wasn't like I'm going to hold off and not do this. Now I might have been my my knee might have been screwed up a little bit, but. Uh, that's probably my I If I didn't run the forty, it was probably that reason. Well, I figured
1: you were gonna pull a Dion, just come in there and run like a four two, and just walk off, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at the, look at the background of where Dave is. Okay, there's more trophies in there than <laughs> I've ever. That's uh, like that's like a trophy room. I, I mean, a trophy a like store. Right it's right like on. a trophy store, right? <laughs> no, Dave, Dave. You know, and it's, uh, you I got work. I got a trophy. Well, okay, here just we go. Just one.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's what my if I sit in my office, it'd be one trophy. One, you. okay,
1: all right. Well, let's. I mean, let's talk about Dave. I mean, Dave, you played seven years in the NFL. Um, came in an '83 draft, uh, Bengals, right? Uh, and then that's where you met yeah. Boomer, right? Which we'll talk sure. about a little later in the Boomer Sisson Foundation, and that's where we reconnected on, on, on actually. And so at, at Nebraska, I mean, you were a two-time consensus All-American. Um, I mean, you're the best lineman in the country. And you, 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 first, first team All American 81 82, um, UPI Big Eight, Big Eight player of the year, AP Big Eight P- offensive player of the year. Um, the only time in the Big Eight conference history that a lineman was so honored, right? College football Hall of Fame. I, know, I,
2: I would imagine I just I had a great team around me. I mean, there's you know, how it is you, you get on a roll and people start recognizing you know, I I was shocked, you know. When they said I was a Big Eight Athlete
1: of the Year, offensive, whatever it was. Yeah, but. yeah, uh, yeah. But but you you were the I mean you were the mainstay of that offensive line. I remember watching you guys, and it was amazing how you guys moved people off the line of scrimmage. Um, so uh, inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in '97, uh, selected the Nebraska University All Century Football Team, um, won the Outland Trophy, right. That's the nation's top and tier offensive or defensive lineman in 81 and 82. So back-to-back years, and that's never been done. First round of the NFL draft. Um, then the Remington Trophy. Tell people about the Remington Trophy. Because I think a lot of people, once the football season's over, they don't realize that, like yourself, Ted Hendricks, Blitnikoff, there's trophies that are given out to the person that exemplifies the, that, that position. And you do it in D1 and D2. Do you go to D3?
2: We do all across all divisions of college football. We started off with D1. Um, what it is, it's for sort of the best center in college football. And, uh, and that was started about 20 years ago, I guess. And uh, it's been pretty successful. I think we we raised money for Cedric Barberos. I think we've raised probably $4.5 million.
1: Dave, let's talk a little bit about the Remington Award because a lot of folks don't know that once the season's over, a lot of awards are... Uh, put upon guys that are the best in that position, for instance, the Blitnikoff Award, uh, Ted Hendricks has an award, you have an award, the Dave Remington Award, which is for the best center in, in college football. So tell us a little bit about the history on that.
2: Well, we started about 20 years ago, and it, like you said, it's for the best center in college football. We have it from Division One all the way across, they're all divisions of college football. So all the way down to NAIA. And uh, what we do in each January, we hold an, uh, a presentation in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it this year. Or it doesn't look good that we're probably not going to be able to put that a, that event together um, because of COVID. But uh, what uh, we try to do is is bring all the guys in and uh, just try to shine the spotlight on the center position, which is usually, you know, not too many people know too much about centers. And, uh, and also cystic fibrosis over the years, this, this award is, has raised about four and a half million dollars for the, for the fight against cystic fibrosis and the Boomer Iacin Foundation. So it, uh, it, it's been, you know, it's been pretty, uh, pretty nice and it's gained some traction. Uh, it's, it's hard to get something like that started, but, uh, you know, we did and it's, and it's gone, it's gone pretty well. We're also on the ESPN, uh, football awards, uh, each, each year. So it's, it's just, it's been a lot of fun, It's it's good for the centers, and it's good, good for the foundation, and good against the uh, fight against cystic fibrosis, so it's been a, a pretty cool thing.
1: And a lot of people don't know, but since you retired, you actually run the Boomer Esiason Foundation, and you want to maybe just tell, talk a little well, bit been, about that? I,
2: I, I've been the president of the Boomer Siacin Foundation for about 27 years. Uh, you know, it's I'm, about ready to, I'm probably going to retire in a, in, a, in a year or so, maybe earlier. But, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Boomer has had a child, uh, has, has a child, Gunner, who's not a child anymore. He's about 26. Right. And he's, uh, off at Dartmouth, uh, getting his, uh, MBA.
0: So nice. Wow. That's amazing.
2: We, we, yeah. I mean, it, when we first started, the life expectancy of a person with cystic fibrosis was about 19, 20 years old. And, uh, we've seen that increase to about 40, 44. Um, so, you know, we've had some progress. We've had Vertex came out um, with a couple of CFTR modulators, which 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 uh, relieve some of the pressure on on the, and, and some of the symptoms of cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is a disease that genetic genetic disease that causes uh, thick, sticky mucus in the lungs and in the pancreas. So, this these modulators ease some of the symptoms. It's not a cure, but it helps out, and it's. It's really enhanced the life of people with cystic fibrosis.
0: So why don't you, uh, Dave, uh, go ahead and give a little plug on how somebody can uh, get involved with uh, with the boomer so if, you
2: to, if You can Tony. go to dot Esiason, org. And if you would like to uh, get on our mailing list and make a donation, whatever you'd like to do, it, it, there's a lot of information there. We usually have uh, an event a month. Uh, in normal times, that that's been curtailed because of COVID, but uh, uh, we we've, we've been at it for a long time, and we've seen some progress. And we re- really like to get all the help we can get to beat this disease.
0: Well, I uh, I'm I'm going to go ahead and put I'll, I'll, when I edit this, I'll put a flag up while you're talking with the uh, information. Is there a phone number or anything? Just the, just the website. Go to the website. I would say the
1: website would okay. be the best way to. All right. Yeah, that's how dave and i reconnected um i I showed up at a redbone event which is a cystic fibrosis foundation um out of the florida keys and uh, all of a sudden i run into dave and i'm like wow what 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 a crazy place to meet right and he and he tells me he's running the boomer syson foundation and we reconnect and chat and then um, um, dave did a does events all over the place and he did he was doing some events in costa rica so I went down to a couple of his events and, and mc a few, and we had a lot of fun. And Wade Boggs, and you know, a lot of uh, other type, other athletes and Nebraska folks, and you name it. Uh, we had a lot of fun so doing those tournaments. we got a lot of
2: a lot of help from Mark to help us out with the, the raise money for cystic fibrosis. There's an event, the Red Bone event. That is probably the premier fishing event for cystic fibrosis out there. And uh, that's like like Mark said, that's where I met Mark again. Now, since the uh, since our football days, and so it's been a lot of fun. And Mark's a great fisherman, a great outdoorsman. Um, I kind of just hold a fishing rod and really don't know what the heck I'm doing. But you know, Mark's the real deal when it comes to fishing. <laughs> and <then
0: that>. <laughs> well, we should at least would call it a fishing pole. My son's a fly fishing guide, and he he called every time I say, "So I got to grab my fishing pole." He like he. he well, just, what is wrong with you? Well, he's a fly a, guy. That's why. He's a yeah. fly guy. <laughs> he's a fly Yeah.
2: So anyway. Uh, and, and Mark's had his uh, tournament in each September yeah. uh, up by Aspen up there. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to, I think, one or two times. Uh, beautiful beautiful area. Uh, great great time up there. And if anybody's listening and you got an opportunity to, to go fishing with Mark, you should do that because the guy knows what he's doing and he, he loves, loves 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 this fishing
1: stuff so you bet yeah and it's a great outdoor event and we have uh so we're we're 7 we we're still holding on 17 years right we've had uh, the covid year we've had three years of fires or we'd be 21 22 years into this thing and uh you know you just have events that you know come up and pop up and and uh disrupt the event but i tell you what it's kind of, it's fun because it's kind of now you know on cruise control so we get the information out there, and a lot of folks uh, from all over the country come you out. Got,
2: you get a lot of people who return each year, yeah. because it's such a fun event and it's such well, a well-run event that uh, you go there once and you're pretty much hooked.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but Dave, tell us tell us a little bit about your. I mean, I, you know, we've talked about the NFL, we've talked about Nebraska. You know, take us back to like high school and and what what got you. You know what got you into football? What motivated you into football? What I mean, you got into the uh, weight room, and you're one of the biggest, strongest guys I've ever met. And uh, and and you know, because
2: well, I was only six foot one, you have to be something. You're going <laughs> to be you're going to be a freak one way or the other. You're going to be tall and big, you just got to you know lift weights and get as strong as you can. Uh, my brother was a uh, it, there was a, a peewee football league in Nebraska and Omaha, and he was a an all American. Wow. I, that was, that was the coolest thing I ever heard. I didn't, you know, I didn't know they had Pee All Americans, but he was, and so I just kind of followed his footsteps. Uh, he was a very, very good football player as a young guy, and really didn't grow, you know. Um, so I followed his footsteps, and I, and I, I was fortunate to have a bunch of good teammates at high school that uh, worked super hard. I mean, we were in the Packing House District of, of Omaha, in South Omaha. Uh, kind of a rough-and-tumble neighborhood, and uh, had a lot of guys who were working hard to get out of that neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So we took the circumstances that we had and tried to capitalize it and do the most we could. Uh, so, you know, I was trying to just do whatever I could because I had a conversation a conversation with my father. He worked in the packing houses. He goes, I hope this football thing works out for you, son, because I got nothing for you <laughs> as far as... College scholar, you know, there's no college if you don't.
0: I know that story. Scholars. So do I. I got the same story, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> so that, you know, that was motivation enough for me to go out there and work really hard. And uh, I was fortunate to get a, a scholarship offer from Nebraska, went there, was surrounded by fantastic players, uh, fantastic coach and coach Osborne, uh, great strength coach in Boyd Epley. Uh, we were just had all the pieces together to have a great great football team, and and we did. I think in my four years at Nebraska, we probably lost seven games, maybe six, seven games. Wow! So we were we were pretty we were really good every year. We were right in the right in the hunt. You know, Um I think our worst year were nine and three, and it was my last year they were twelve and one. And uh, I mean, it, it was just a great great time. Went on to you know uh, got uh, fortunate enough to be drafted in the first round with. By Cincinnati, uh, started for those guys for the five years I was with them. And then I was, uh, the uh, 87 was a strike. I was a union rep. And then all of a sudden everything kind of went sideways on me after that. Yeah, being a union,
0: union
1: rep doesn't help, does it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Hi, okay. co- hi, coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> F you, pal.
2: I, I got, uh, I got, uh, <laughs> uh, I failed my physical when I came back. And then, uh, I went to, I got, uh, Buddy Ryan said, I, here and you, and I'm going to pass you. So I went to Philadelphia and, and was on that team for a couple of years. And, and, uh, I went on to, uh, a grad school at Wisconsin, coached there. And, uh, we were able to go from one and 10 to 10 and 1. Wow. And then, uh, my, my last year was when I was getting my master's degree there. Help. Uh, went, went to back to Hong Kong with my wife. She was over there working. And came back, and Boomer asked me if his son was diagnosed. He asked me if I'd help him out, and so I came back uh, and helped him out with the foundation. And I've been there, been here ever
1: since. Well, you also uh, took a stint of uh, a, or a temporary athletic director at Nebraska while they were trying to find a new one here recently, right?
0: Yeah,
2: I was there just kind of. It, you know, it was kind of a, a after three games or something. They they fired the athletic director at Nebraska, and they'd asked me if I'd come in and and just kind of stabilize everything. There wasn't a lot of decisions being made, I can tell you that. There was just more of making sure that everybody felt comfortable with the direction of the program. And I did the best I could while I was there just to, you know, just keep the water still.
0: So, young guys look at the University of Nebraska right now and uh, they don't don't remember the days of the Big 8. You know, I played in the Big 8 at CU. and. my sophomore year, I think it was Colorado, Nebraska, fin- and Oklahoma finished one, two, three in the uh, in the national polls. Uh, my sophomore year at Colorado, and you know, we always kind of considered Oklahoma and Nebraska like rivalries. And uh, I think the worst thing that ever happened to the Big Eight is that uh, Colorado went to the Pac-12 and put on pastel uniforms. And then uh, Nebraska went to the Big Ten, and they don't. These guys don't really understand that. Do you? Do you remember those rivalries? Was I don't? You know, I think it was still alive in the eighties. You know, I left. I graduated in nineteen seventy nine, so I'm a little lower than you guys, much better looking. But you were there with the, the
2: Brock brothers.
0: Oh yeah, Stan Brock. Yeah, Stan was a yeah, good friend great. of
2: mine. Those guys I looked up to as uh, because they, were, they were great centers uh, and great offensive linemen. Uh, so I remember those days. Yeah, we had, we had some battles with, uh, Oklahoma primarily back in my day. Uh, it wasn't, we had uh, probably about, uh, each year, probably about four teams that could, if you didn't come in at your best, they could beat you. But we yeah. had some teams that it was, you know, we had some soft teams also. It was a day off, uh,
0: day off with Kansas. Is that? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, you know, it, it, it was, uh, they, they could come at you one, you know, but it, it was tough for them because, we had so much going for us back then. We had a lot. Of, we had momentum for far as players were going, wanted to come to Nebraska. And it takes a while to get, you know, the team to get that type of momentum. It's kind of like when I was growing up, Clemson wasn't that good. No. And now, and, and oh, good you know, point. They they they've gotten so much momentum. You look at what their demographics are and everything else. They're in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah, Florida, Boise State, I didn't even know. Where, I didn't even know where Boise was.
2: Yeah, yeah but they've got they've got it going on. They got people believing, and they got momentum, yeah. and they got players from all over the country that want to go because of what Dallas Dab- Weenie has done at Clemson. So you know, it takes a while, but uh, you get the momentum, and you get the players. Um, you know, you start getting a track record. You know, that's that's where these these uh, these, these great great teams
0: like you see now are so, from. So I'll tell you, I uh, I went to Nebraska. Uh, when we played in Nebraska, we had a, a linebacker named Tom Perry. This is uh, before you, I think, even started at Nebraska. But Tom had an aneurysm on the sideline at Nebraska. And uh, I just remember going to the stadium, and it was like one of the biggest moments of my life was to go uh, play Nebraska at Nebraska. And uh, I didn't play much in, but in that game, but... Um, I just remember the, the, the fierce rivalry and the respect that I had for Nebraska as a, as a football program. Vince Ferragamo was the quarterback then and they, you know, they were ranked in the top three in the nation and Oklahoma and the whole deal. And, uh, well, it wasn't a real good year for us when I went there, but, uh, especially after we lost Tom, um, uh, uh, because he was projected to be like a first, one of the first five guys drafted. But <clears throat> after I, Went to the uh, uh, all the different teams that I played for in the NFL. I used to watch Nebraska, and I used to watch you, and uh, I was kind of fascinated with you. And you probably didn't realize you had a fan back in those days, but um, I watched you play, and uh, it, it was amazing to me to watch you play, Dave. You know, and you know you're a real humble guy, and uh, but there's some kids out there and some parents out there that need to hear. The real blood and guts of what it takes to play, uh, to play at a Nebraska, to play at a Colorado. In those days, it was pretty rough football. It was a lot rougher then than it is now, for sure. Uh, but maybe you can share something, Dave, about the grind that you went through, uh, what you think kids should know about, you know, I mean, every, every kid I meet that I train thinks he's going to Division One, right? You know, it's like, uh, coach, can you make me as good as Calais Campbell? No. Why do you say that so fast? You know, well, first of all, he's six eight and a half, (laughs) weighs three (laughs) hundred ten pounds, and he can put his elbows on the rim. You know, I mean, this is a this is a different kind of human being. But other than just being born special. What's it? What's it, What did it take you? To, at six one, which is not not a yeah. bad thing for a center because you can get up underneath people easier. You, have, you know, Mark said he played real low. Sounds like you played real low, whether you wanted to or not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, well, it was it was like the op- the option era, you know. So you had a four point stance and you fire up the ball. There wasn't uh, there was no run to daylight. You made the daylight. You had to move, oh, yeah. had to move people.
0: taking a little break from our podcast and I this is uh, coach moles you've been seeing uh, some of the podcasts I'm here on behalf of Florian McCann and mile high aeration uh, in just a, just a couple seconds here in this uh, in this promo for mile high aeration you'll be able to take down the uh, the phone number and the website where you can go uh, set up your your next appointment with with uh, Florian and his uh, fine group over at mile-high aeration. Uh, listen, we're Colorado. Not aerating your grass is like mistreating your children. <laughs> Thank God I'm not running for president, but it happens to be true. There comes a time when you have to aerate your lawn, uh, particularly in the spring and the fall. And we're in the fall right now, uh, and uh, we're heading into winter. And we will be soon heading into in, in spring before you know it. And we are a clay-based geographical location here in Colorado. That clay gets wet, it gets dry, it hardens, and it starts to choke out the 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 roots of your grass. Hey, treat them nice. Uh, get it aerated. It'll hold hold the water and save the roots, and keep your lawn healthy all year long. So, hey, take a look at this. This is a, uh, a photo of. MileHighServices.com, uh, which is Mile High Aeration's website. You see the website at the top, uh, www.MileHighServices.com and you have the phone number 303-778-1000. Hey, pause the video for a second, write it down and give Florian and his crew a call. This is Coach Malls from my good friend Florian McCann and the kind people at Mile High Aeration. So, uh, really, Dave, if you could just, if you were sitting in a, in a room full of 50 high school hopefuls and maybe some young college players, and uh, they said, uh, Mr. Remington, I would really, really like to know what I need to do to get there. Well, how would you answer that to
2: them? Well, I think each individual is different, but uh, you have to find out. Uh You know the things that you can control is your effort. Like I said before, and you know you become a student of the game. If you want to become a pro, uh, you have to put a lot of attention and and into detail. Uh, You have to work harder than everybody else around you, and uh, try to make yourself better every day. You know that's what I did. I just try to each day I'd work on one thing and try to become a little bit better on that. It could be uh, uh, snapping for shotgun. It could be field goal snapping. Things like that. Things that, uh, especially as a center, um, if you want to try to make it in the pros, uh, if there's any shortcut at all, the shortcut would be if you could learn the long snap, uh, field goal snap, and make yourself a little more valuable to, uh, to a team. Um, and I'd work on that as much as I could. Um, but the, but my, my meat and potatoes was getting the weight learning work. I was six foot one. And I was competing against people who are like six foot five, six foot six, just large human beings. And I wanted to make sure the thing I can control is try to become as strong as I could. And I, I would just camp out in the weight room. I agreed that it would, they would have to kick me out of there. And, and I'd also had in a gym on the side that I would go to um, after sometimes with uh, some of the offensive linemen that we had. Um, this was 1982 was my senior year. So it was years, years ago, you know. And uh, you know, in to era, most of the offensive linemen in my era were 250 pounds, 260 pounds, and I weigh 290 pounds. And uh, so I just tried to be as big and strong and as powerful as I could to get off the ball and and uh, make holes for running backs.
1: You were you were you quite know? the technician too, though. I mean, your hands inside. I mean, your hands, your feet. Yeah. You know.
2: I, I tried to learn. It was more than strength, but it was a lot of it was, uh, like I said, in that era of, of football was the option era where you were in a four point stance. Um, you were not flat back. Your, your rear end was a little higher than your shoulders. Yep. And you were, you were coming off the ball. I mean, you were, you were smoking off the ball. Yep. And, uh, that was one of the biggest adjustments I had to make is slow things down because in the pros, it becomes more of a, we're in the daylight situation where you're, you're trying to latch on and run people side line to side. Up, you're not moving them. You're not displacing them like you did in, in college and high school. You're you're moving them down the field. You're moving them sideways. The back is cutting. Um, but in that kind of offense, it takes time. It's not an instantaneous. And when I played, you, the hole was the hole, and you weren't going to cut it back all the way. And you know, as I got into pros, it was more, we're going to we're going to we're going to be real solid on the backside and widen the front side, and cut back, and the back will find a
0: hole. Um, So, um, yeah, that's zone zone versus, you know, the typical drive-blocking touchdowns.
2: It became real popular when I went to Cincinnati. Um, Jim McNally was was a guru of offensive line play back then. Um, There was about a handful of guys that uh, were doing the same thing, and I learned so much from him. Uh, great offensive line coach, and um, just just a, a good guy. So I was I was fortunate. All my coaches were really good, um, and they believed in me, and they allowed me to do uh, what I could do, and 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 it put me in a great position to succeed.
0: So, so you know, you mentioned um <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, you mentioned long snap. If you're a big big center. You're you not gonna long snap anymore. They don't do that anymore. They they train uh, fullbacks and linebackers to be long snap Well, you enough. can still
2: do the extra point and field goals. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. They did a, a big body in there. You're right They usually put tight ends or linebackers and they become the long snapper, mm-hmm. but they're always looking for guys who can do it when you're on the margins oh, looking yeah. For guys because if the guy goes down they need somebody that can come in there and with the limitations and numbers if you can do it You'll have uh, You'll have a leg up on your competition.
1: Yeah, plus, I mean, they've changed the rules, too. I mean, you, you had guys in the A-gap over your head trying to kill you and jump on you. Well, now you can't even get in an A-gap because they have a linebacker-type style guy. and
0: they're even the guy. guy. You can't even touch sma- him.
2: Things just absolutely smash you. Exactly. I mean, it used to be you would you would snap the ball and grab the dirt. Yeah, you know, he would just... You have know,
1: three. You'd hold on tight. You'd have a guy <laughs> with nose, and you'd have a guys in the A gap trying to blow you back because you're 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 helpless, right? Yeah. And we've got yeah. our feet behind your feet, right? Yeah. And so you have guys who were locking ankles behind you, right?
2: And there's right. nowhere for the center to go but just get flipped over. I mean, that's what usually happens.
0: Exactly. Um, you know. So, know j Jay, Jay Helgenberg. You ever ever heard of Jay Helgenberg? He was Bear, the center yeah. for the Chicago Bears. He yeah, was he was
2: a, Iowa Iowa Center
0: yeah yeah he had the Helgenberg family's all Iowans you know that um, I played with his uncle Wally up in Minnesota yeah. and uh, but Jay came in way too small um, and every day he was scared he was going to get cut every single day you know and uh, but he could long snap well Jay,
2: Jay, he, Jay was a great long snapper he also he had the ability to pull from the center position, he did. which is real tough because there's no, you don't, you know, it's the easiest thing with you a football fan and you want to know what's going on, take a look at the guards and tackles because they usually give away everything, especially if they're going to pull. You'll see them, if you see, you know, the guard and tackle on one side, it back a little bit, you know it's going to be a power. Gonna be, I mean, they're going to they're gonna pull both. I'm going to, you know, it's like a, a counter play, which I should have said. But, uh, least you know. In his first couple in months,
0: play. he got, he got, he got worked real hard, and I used to, so
2: well, we used to watch. Bill used to be able to, as, as a guy who's inside, he's, he is, he's is deep in the offensive line. He's not back. And for him to be able to pull around and lead the sweep, that was something that uh, I used to try to do.
0: But uh, I was old well, I you. used to rub. I used to rub you in his face. Well,
1: Mott used <laughs> to do that with the uh, Detroit. Used to do that. Certain teams did I've that. Lost. When I went down to Tampa, they would do that. They'd pull a center as well. And uh, I think
2: I've lost you guys.
1: Hold on. Um. Now we're here. Yeah, we're here. It's just uh. Still, okay. So yeah. So just when I went down to Tampa, right? So <laughs> not only would they pull Bubba sometimes on a toss, right? But they would also pull him to like for for pass pro, instead of like what we call or ray, right, where you you double over to the to the tackle, and then I would I might pop out if a corner's coming. They would literally pull the center out, right. So now, now you know what we're seeing, right, TTs, and it's like just trying to knock people out because now we've got this big hole in the middle. We've got to no, now sure. slide down in to keep guys from, from picking each other, right? I mean, it was a nightmare. I, I just never understood pulling the center for pass players.
2: Well, yeah, we, you know, we'd play like uh, Lawrence Taylor and they'd say, okay, I want you, center, to pull out and yeah. and get him. And I'm like, I said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Like, well, who, who would do that? Uh, uh, we, take, we take the quickest guy possible, and you put him on a big, you know, 300-pound guy. And he's just going to o'we you every time. You exactly.
1: I, I never understood that, and I, I the concept just it was Ill, or just uh, it, un, unfathomable for trying to pull a center <laughs> to go get a yeah a corner or go get Lawrence. Yeah, well, they used to have us double read. We'd, we'd have inside,
2: outside backer. Yeah. So you're backing up your your eyeball on that middle backer. But you're you're thinking you have got to get outside. You got to get out of there to get that outside backer coming in. Yeah. And it was like this is not solid, guys. This is not a smart thing. I don't know why we're doing this, but we did it, and everybody did it at that beginning. I know. And then everybody started, and then everybody said, you know what? Let's just slide block left, right. And exactly.
1: It was exactly. The end of that. Yeah.
0: Now they're doing a lot of pulling the center these days. That that uh, pin and pull play. Yeah, pin and pull is totally
1: different. It's a, that's a totally different concept.
2: Yeah. This is this is pass protection. Where you would pull the center, you'd have him back up, and then yes, read but... inside, outside, backer. The yeah. inside backer didn't yeah. come. You had to get the outside backer. If he came. Yeah. So I mean, if this guy's like Lawrence Taylor, God, by love the time, to be... You look at the inside backer. The, he's already got, you know, the quarterback
0: wrapped up and throwing him on the ground. You know? I'd like to be the one backer. technique in that deal. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no! Yeah, no. Now put your guard. Yeah, now, now you get guards in horrible positions, right? Right. For, for the TT inside. That's right. Uh, I mean, talk about brain damage and, and just, just, just bad well, bodies. Right. I mean, it was just, it, it was a, I, was I a would, I, I would ask the coaches, I go, I go, why are we doing this? Because, we'll if,
2: if we have we'll have one guy take two guys. And if both guys come, we got a hot read. We're trying to get more guys out into rice, Right. You know, they want to back in the flat and all. I'm like, in the meantime, your quarterback's going to get his, uh, you know, his gallbladder bat- removed out there, but just, <laughs> just matching it.
0: I, 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 I think it's awesome. Yeah. You could you could say to your coaches, "Why are we doing this?" If I asked them that question, yeah. they'd say, "We aren't. You're not here anymore." <laughs> yeah, my uh, uh, coach
1: didn't know
2: why we were doing it.
1: He was just told. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was it was challenging. It was it was fun. The whole thing was fun, but it was like, you know. Come on, we're not playing to strengths here. We're just out there running around.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Dave, how are you connected with? Are you still connected with the game at all uh, these days? Are you doing anything? With well, you? I don't. I don't watch
2: pro football as much as I probably should. I try to stay with the the Husker stuff and watch the Nebraska team and and cheer them on. I don't get the X's and O's with the, you know. I don't talk to Scott Frost and say you should do this or that. Right. I figure that you know the guy's being paid five million dollars a year. The last thing he needs. Some some ex offensive lineman telling what we should do because you know, they know what we should do. I just tell them let's run the ball every play and forget about this <laughs> passing stuff. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's a that's a little boring, you know. So uh, we're not yeah. going to do that.
0: Did you see the Ohio State Nebraska game last Saturday?
2: Yeah, you know they played tough the first, first half and yeah. then uh, you know the inevitable happened where they just don't have the horses on some of the you know they they don't have the depth. They have guys who can play, but. They need to get more more people that can compete, and and Ohio State, to be honest, is they're one of the elite as far as recruiting, and they've got some great great players there. So,
1: so I'll tell you one thing about Nebraska is that stadium is just like a professional event center. I mean, it, it was an amazing. of uh, I I went out to the and met Dave at the Nebraska Miami game a number of years mm-hmm. back, and I was absolutely. Mind boggled because how nice everybody was. I'm wearing a Miami shirt, right? I think I'm going to just get blistered. But the people were the nicest people in the world.
0: I mean, so
2: they, they respect—they respect good football.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, those Miami guys were real nice guys. Well, they, you know, Miami pulled a couple of stunts <laughs> hitting late and doing some stupid
1: stuff, and the fans got a little little unruly about yeah, that. Like, I, I don't know why. I would agree with. Well. Huh? Huh?
2: They don't put up with the, like dirty player or anything. Really. They—they get on teams, but typically yeah. they. They give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And they come in, they try to, if a team has played well, they'll give them a standing O as they walk out back to the, to the locker room after the game. And things. so yeah, they're a classy bunch of people. And I and I attribute that because there's no alcohol in the stadium. <laughs> so, they don't sell alcohol yet. <laughs> Good point. They haven't totally sold out yet. So <laughs> yeah. we'll see how that long that lasts.
1: Yeah, but what, what, uh, uh, what a beautiful venue. Um, you know, sitting out there in the middle of uh, Nebraska and the uh, cornfields, and the hay, and the cows, and just... Well, uh, there's,
2: there's a, you know, people just love to go out there and watch the football, and, and tailgate, and they just, it's just a, uh, it's an event every, every, and a lot still, of guys just go to the, a lot of guys just go to the tailgate, don't even go to the football.
0: Right, anymore. right, you so know, are you kind of still in the uh, Omaha area, are you still living there?
2: Well, I'm in uh, New York City area, I'm, I'm in Long Island right now, that's where our offices are. I've been here. I was there for 27 years. So oh, okay. I, so. haven't, I haven't been back in Nebraska since I left in '82. Hey, Dave. Also,
1: talk wow. about. I mean, you you are probably no one. Not very many people know this, but you're an incredibly accomplished photographer. Um, uh, talk about right. that. That's kind of like a passion of yours on as, the side, as you, right? As
2: you near retirement, you've got to come up with some kind of hobbies to get, <laughs> get, your, get yourself <laughs> off the couch, you know. So yeah, I, I like am, sleeping. Uh, interested in photography. And uh, I've had a chance to travel quite a few places. And with the travel and the photography has been a bit of good good combination for an old guy. So uh, I enjoy it. I haven't done much of it this past year. Right. Uh, but I'll probably get back in it when I fully retire. Because uh, I'm trying just, you know, with the COVID thing and and, and running a charity, all hands are on deck now. We've got we to gotta get through this until we get some events because everything has pretty much been shut down. So, uh, we're, we're trying we're in the survival mode and, um, hopefully, you know, things will get better and we can get back to raising money for cystic fibrosis.
0: Yeah, you bet. So tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, David. Well, so I've been
2: married for 39 years, um, to one of the greatest people in the world, my wife Lisa, and I've got four children. Um, I've got two triplets who are 15 years old, two boys and a girl. Wow. Yeah. And I've got an 11 year old too. So. Um, hand, it's 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 a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. I mean, you, I got I got three kids going through college at the same time in about four years. So
0: you know, that <laughs> curtail some I'm, of that traveling.
1: All my, all my retirement money is going to the college fund. You know? Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> you may not be retired.
0: I don't have the excuse my father did. It's like
2: uh, my wife was giving me the eye, like you better have the money for these kids I'm like, get them through college. So, uh, you know, it's been a blast uh, uh, enjoying it. I have some really good kids, like everybody. You know, everybody thinks the kids are great. But I uh, some really good kids. Are, you know, they're keeping me on my toes.
0: So so do you uh, – tell us what you think about uh, the contrast between football when you played it in, the, in college and in the NFL. and the, with yeah, I think the same
2: thing was – just the viciousness of hitting and thing. There was no, there was, it was just full on. You're gonna play, you're gonna get hit. You expected it. There was no excuses. There was like if you know the things that uh, they throw flags on now, it was celebrated. I mean they, you know, when they targeted somebody, they would go and they all high five each other. I right. it was just a whole different era. Um, it was the wild wild west, you know. And a good thing now it's it's safer for the kids. So I. You know, it was a tough. It's a tough guy sport still, but it was really like uh, John Wayne tough when I was growing up because there was there was you just did whatever you had to do. You know, as an offensive lineman, the era was Conrad Dober. He had leg whipping. He had everything. Was pretty much they never called it, so everybody did it.
1: You know, you know? it's it's funny. Line talk about leg whipping, right? Because I used to wear the little yeah, tiny leg soccer. Whipping, Little soccer things on my back of my calf, so I could leg leg whip <laughs> guys and not yeah. blow a calf, right, or have a big <laughs> yeah. bruise on my calf. I mean,
2: oh, well, there's there, nothing would make a defensive lineman
1: more upset than if you leg whipped and
0: Yeah, we called that cheating. Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, you well, know, uh,
2: if they didn't throw a flag, it wasn't cheating. You know? yeah, there you that, go. Was, that was that era. <laughs> Thank you. Where, you know, they gouge your eyes in a in a in a pile up. I and mean, it was just nuts. I mean. Especially in the higher, the, you know, the higher the the, the, the caliber of oh, players, the crazier it got. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, right. Just, they they just paid you enough to keep you hungry. I mean, there was no two million dollars a year. Right, it was like a a hundred thousand, and you're and you're loving it. And you think you're, it, it, there, yeah. you know, we worked during during the, the off season. Still, it wasn't like it is now. No, like there was no when we were, you know, the retirement back then was not existent. Pretty much, it was just like a. You know, ham, ham sandwich, and a cup of coffee. There's your retirement, guy. That's that's the pension. There was never a lot of money.
0: I so thought it was amazing that there but- was
2: there was no relying on football income. You better save your money, but there was nobody going to bail you out.
0: No,
1: you
2: know, if you don't have money saved, you're done.
1: Right. Yeah. You know?
2: So you
1: you played against Gary Dunn. I mean, you know, we've had these conversations where he, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you're I
2: love, love, love Gary Dunn. Yeah. But he got so mad at me one time. He was coming off a knee surgery or injury, and and, uh, we had a a wide play and like a sweet play to the right. And I came down, and I just tried to dive. Because he was in a gap over here. I'm just trying to get in front of him, trying to cut him off. And so I fell on his ankle, and he just – Looked at me and I was like, I, you know, I felt horrible for it because I he was he was injured, he was done for the day, but uh, he never let me forget that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> the more he, the more we'd go out and we'd have a few, you know, beers together, you know. <laughs> he would get the, upset. The, I'd, the bigger I'd the story, would away get. It.
1: right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I played a little bit with my brother Mark, who played for the uh, Vikings for thirteen years, um, and I had a couple yeah. se- uh, seasons sidelines with him, I'm out on the field, and we're playing San Diego, and I, this guy punched me in the throat, and I was just screaming at him, you know, a lot of MF type stuff, you know, and, oh, yeah, and I'm going to kill you stuff, my brother walks over to me, and the, you know, we used to have defensive huddles back then, right, and he goes, stop screaming yeah. at these guys, they get a lot better when they get mad. I never, I never did a lot of talking, did you, Coop? No. I, I never
2: did a lot of talking out no. there. I was no, was stupid. Tired.
0: Yeah, there's no reason. For air, you know?
2: Yeah, that, yeah.
1: So yeah, uh, you're running around all day. You're kind of you know let <laughs> me conserve some of this stuff because I gotta. Yeah, you know, we may have a 15, 18 play drive here in front of us.
0: So here's here's cool. what happened. I, I uh, came off the edge really fast and I tackled uh, the running back at the time was I don't know if you remember John Capaletti, but he was the running back for the Chargers and I tackled him and went underneath him and a bunch of offensive linemen uh, fell on top of me. And somebody grabbed me by by my uh, personal part. And, I, and not the two set, the one set. <laughs> and pinched it. And was pinching it. And he wouldn't let go of it. And I'm screaming at the bottom of the pile. Uh, pile and the offensive line will get off me. And the uh, official's waving his arms. And he's going, what's wrong with you? And I said, somebody's pinching my D, you know. And he goes... What I'm screaming, you know, it's killing me. And uh, you know, he says, "Whoever's got his D, let it go, let go." (laughs) You guys need to get up. And I'm screaming. And I'm going to tell you something: when I uh, urinated for a week, it was a bad experience. So these guys weren't, you know. I uh, some people say, you know, do you think some of the guys you played with could play today? I said no, but if there was a fight, they'd win
2: yeah it they was know. like that yeah it was like a brawl yeah. sometimes
0: oh yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, uh, it was a lot of
2: fun and we i think mark knows uh ron heller oh yeah and ron was ron was a guy i played with the, with the eagles and ronnie had he was like one of those guys who's actually had some really good comebacks instead of just a curse word yeah. you know when they said something but uh, most of the guys were just you know they're too tired they didn't say anything but ronnie always had the greatest comebacks I remember playing this guy and he had his teeth all knocked out. So the guy starts screaming at Ronnie's and spit you know, spittle going all over the place. Nobody can understand what the guy's saying, the defensive lineman's screaming at Ronnie. Ronnie turns around, walks two steps toward our huddle, turns around and goes he goes, Harry Perry. What is uh, English or second language? I <laughs> started laughing. mean, Ronnie would just pick him up like you know.
1: Uh, he was the greatest. He was the greatest. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever told this story on the show, but uh, Ron, so Heller was at Tampa when I got there, and and he he got into it with Perkins. Ever, I think I told you that story. He got into it with Perkins in the in the locker room. Yeah. I mean, they literally got in a fight, and I thought Ron was going to Ronnie was going to kill him. Because you know, we're not six, what, six, seven, six, eight, what, three, fifteen ish. I mean, just a big monster guy, right? He's a
2: big, big big man, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, so Heller is Heller was one of those rah rah guys. I mean, he's just pumping up and he's, you know, we're getting killed, we're we're in uh, in New Orleans, we're getting killed, right? And it's halftime. And remember how they had the concrete on the floors in there, and you you know, you're wearing your shoes, and but if the if it got wet, it got slippery, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so. He's like, hey, all right, guys. You know, it's like just before we're about to go out for the second half. He's like, all right, guys, come on, this like don't give up, don't quit on us. Let's don't quit. Let's get out there. And let's you know, kicks. Uh, he's, he's doing his routine right and then all. And because he said quit, Perkins like snaps. And runs over at him and just starts swinging on him. And 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 Heller's wow. like, "What is this?" I mean, Ron snaps him, grabs him by his neck, and he's holding him out. He's got his helmet in his hand. And I'm thinking, "Oh no, he's just going <laughs> to splash him, right?" <laughs> and I'm, and 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 they're yell, jawing at each other, yelling at each other. He's saying, splash. "You don't say quit! Don't say quit in the locker room!" And Heller's like, "F you know, you, you should get off me. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you." You know, they break apart, and I'm like, and I just got there, and I'm like. What is this? I would have really enjoyed that I mean, actually. What, what is this? And I'm looking around, <laughs> the freaking coaches are moving away, the players are moving away, everybody's scared to death of Perkins, right? So, so they go back at it, get jawing again, right? And he goes, runs over and jumps on him, and Perkins breaking a finger during, during the process, right? But it like Ray has to like, jump up to get the hell <laughs> right. So, he's like clawing at him, and, and I'm thinking, oh, he's over now, Ron's gonna just knock him out. Right, and, and it was, so I'm standing around looking again. No one's doing a thing, so I just run over there and I snatch up, I snatch up Ray from behind, and I lift him up, and I'm, I scream and he's like, "Hey, Goddamn, we got, a, we got a football game to play here," and and he looks over his shoulder at me, and he goes, "Put me down," and I'm thinking, "Oh <laughs> shit, oh, I just, I just got cut. I'm out of here. I just got <laughs> here. I'm gone." Right. Uh, I, I remember that story, and yeah. I think
2: it a couple, a week or two later, Ron got shipped off to Philadelphia. To Philadelphia. To Philadelphia.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 yeah. so but at the same time I got it, I got Perkins I'm holding him up his little feet are dangling you know because he's not a very big guy <laughs> and I'm looking past him and, and the ref you know the ref comes in and gives you the two minute like two minutes to get out there. And the ref's like <laughs> staring at me like Who, what what is this guy doing <laughs> to his coach you know and everybody's screaming and yelling at me it's just crazy uh, anyway that, that's that's my Ron Eller story and I love that guy well, I mean, yeah, you know was, I'm the best.
0: I'm not kidding you if you if you were coaching at in high school right now. Right. And, uh, you were in a private meeting with your team. Right. And you told that story. There'd be a good chance that it would get to a mother and you would be fired. Yeah. For telling that story. Just telling the story. Yeah. And, uh, let alone have that kind of thing happen. You know, the, I have kids that, uh, (laughs) I have kids at this high school. A kid comes up to me and goes, Hey, coach, I took a test today. And he says, you're a Christian, man. I said, yeah. He says, the question was, how many genders are there? How would you answer that question? And I would say, two. You know, a man and a woman. He'd say, coach, the minimum that you could give on the test and get a a C grade or above was eight. And I was like, man, I'm so far out of out of touch with this stuff. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid sometimes to walk on a football field with high school kids on it now, because of something that might come out of my mouth just innocently, you know. That hey
2: Mark, I think we should behave a little bit better here with <laughs> our language.
0: No, no, I think we're allowed on it. No, that's why you're here, Dave. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. These kids need this stuff. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, and we're not standing in a, in, a, in a locker room somewhere, standing in an auditorium somewhere. These. These kids, these boys that I coach, crave this stuff. You they know, they crave the masculinity. They they yeah. they crave the hard nosed stuff. Well,
1: what's interesting, I think, for young players too, Dave. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a little bit of a lonely game because you are a, you in high school became an elite high school player, and then in college became an elite college player, and there's players around you that they they they're just there. They know they're done when college is over. They don't have any aspirations. They don't, they're not going to work as hard. They aren't going to do the things that you might do or I might do extra to perpetuate ourselves or get a little bit better every day, et cetera. So it kind of becomes a lonely sport in that you don't have a lot of peers. And, And so I've had this conversation with a number of guys because, they look around them, and, and there's no one there that will – their friends are their friends, but their friends aren't their peers. Their friends don't want to work out as hard as they do. They want to, they don't want to go do the extra running. They don't want to go over to the stadium and do the, do the extra stairs, you know, with the weighted vest on that night or uh, yeah. uh, those types of things. So I think it becomes a lonely sport for some guys, and, and I think some guys struggle with that loneliness too in that they don't have a lot of peers or their perceived friends aren't necessarily their friends. Whether they a different type of friend. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, well, what, what I try to do is get guys who had, you know, who had similar interests on the team, that offensive linemen that you could corral as, as you're, you're a leader of the team. You've got to be responsible for getting these guys motivated too. And, you know, and I think the success of the team, you start getting some success, and everybody buys in and says, okay, we, we see what's going on here. And, but it always starts with a couple guys. It always the first guy is the first guy, but the second guy, you get another guy in there, that becomes the most important vote because once you get the second guy to buy in and then you get a bunch of guys. I remember we we had a, a, a group of about three or four guys We went to a, a movie uh, and we didn't get a run-in when I was in high school. So we drove back to the high school and it's it's midnight. We jumped the fence. I don't, I don't know if this I don't know, but we jumped the fence. And we run uh, because we had a mile-and-a-half run that we had to get ready for, and we didn't want to miss it. And so, you know, before, uh, you know, when you don't have any options, you play as hard as you can to do whatever you can to to make it. Well, we had everybody, the four four guys that went, you know, uh, to the movie, we all jumped the fence and ran our mile-and-a-half to get that stuff in. And I knew right then we were going to have a pretty good team just because we had – you know, the guys in the offensive line, we stuck together and we did what we had to do and we worked extra. And once you get that and people start seeing you have success, you have to be a good player. I mean, if you're not a good player, you're not going to buy into that easy. But, you know, you, you get a couple guys and, and you just you, you start doing extra work. And pretty soon you got the whole team thinking that, hey, I don't want to let these guys down. I'm going to do more work. And pretty soon you got the whole the whole team is turned around and you you start winning games that you in previous years you did.
0: Yeah, I, that's a best uh, best head coach I ever worked with was a guy named Larry Allen who coached here in Colorado. Larry went to the state championship uh, state championship game eighteen times in his thirty thirty two year career, and he was mentoring me in my first coaching job in Colorado. And he said, "So I got the head coaching job at uh, Denver South here in here in Colorado and." I said, coach, you know, what, uh, you know, you've had these great teams. What's the secret? He says, listen, you know, there's a, there's a study that was done and I don't know if this is true or not, but he says where they had monkeys and they would, they were infant monkeys and they didn't really know much about food or anything else. So they threw bananas in the cage and, uh, they didn't know how to peel the, the bananas or anything else and so they would you know shove them in places that you can't think about and there's one monkey that learns that peels the the banana and the rest of the monkeys see this monkey eat the banana so then at first they want to grab the banana after he peels it but they're tougher um so, you know, it's really, it, it was really interesting because after just a little bit of time, they were all peeling the banana. And he said, All you need to do is find that, that first guy that's going to find out how, what, the, what, what the key is to winning and the way you describe it, Dave. And uh, that, you, that, once you get the one guy, it starts spreading. Uh, it takes a little bit of time. That's why I think, you know, in the NFL, when they let go of these coaches, I mean, they're already talking about firing Kevin McCarthy's in his fifth game, right? You know, how can you get uh, players to do that? So I, I really appreciate that story, uh, Dave. So, uh, some other things that, uh, that maybe you could leave us with here, Dave. We've, uh, you've been with us a long time on the call and I certainly appreciate it. Um, how about some, uh, some parting wisdom for uh, for a coach some coaches that are out there that are that are working with these kids
2: well that's uh, that's difficult, but uh, I would say that you know as a coach you, you you show the player that you care about him and not just say the words but you show them these kids will run through walls uh, you know the, the, that that's about the, con- the consistent thing that. I can say about coaching, the great coaches I that I knew were tough on players, but the players knew that they had their best interests at heart. And when they did well, they would find a way, maybe not publicly, they would find a way to let the player know, hey, you did well, son. And, and it just motivates the player, you know. Uh, so that's about the You know, I wish I had more for you on the coaching front. I, I loved coaching when I did it. Uh, there's nothing like it to see that that light go off on a young man. That you can see that he's getting it, you know, and uh, he starts picking up stuff that you try to tell him over the year. And uh, you know, you get one guy do it, and and pretty soon you got the whole team buying into the thing. But uh, it, you know, it's it's a very very important uh, job, uh, coaching. Um, they do more. They become a lot. Uh, right, probably more important uh, now than when I was a kid. Cause no the kids, uh, the parents of, uh, of, you know, the two, the two-income uh, families, with the mom and dad both working. Um, back when I was growing up, it didn't, it wasn't as prevalent. Uh, but now you have that, and the coaches become um, mentors and parents on the side to to a family. I mean, the, the parents really uh, entrust you with their kids. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of regulations and stuff that when I was uh, uh, playing, that you know, you have to be really careful, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, as understand. a coach, there's a lot of of uh, things that can sidetrack you as a coach that didn't that w- wasn't around when I was growing up.
0: Well, Dave, I hope you uh, get a chance to get back to Colorado sometime. I'd like to meet you. You're uh, you're a fascinating guy. Um, I watched, I watched you a lot. I watched you a lot, and I, uh, I guys, admired everything I you it. did.
2: Maybe uh, maybe I can come back to that uh, fly fishing. Yeah, come tonight. on out. Bring <laughs> Coach out there. Yeah, when I, that, I with do that, he yeah. says, "Yeah, maroon balls, I'll take pictures again, like I did last. Oh time.
1: man, I still got a lot of your pictures. <laughs> you took some incredible uh, stuff.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Thanks, Dave. It's
2: good to see you. Thanks always.
1: Thanks for <laughs> all the war stories. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you guys soon. You bet. Great to have you. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys. Thanks. Take Take care. care. Hey guys, uh, give us a buzz. If you need any help with your real estate needs, that is one thing we do on the, as a, uh, (laughs) full-time job. This, we have a lot of fun with, and we hope you're enjoying, you know, these episodes with different players and we're going to bring a multitude of different players to you, um, that I've met and, and Moles has met over the years that, uh, you know, or Hall of Famers, and or and or just uh, great guys, legends of the game, legends of the game, you name it. And um, uh, but outside of that, you know, the Denver market is doing great. I mean, there's very little inventory, so a lot of you first-time home buyers, I know it's tough on you. Um, you know, the the market is just as low in inventories we've seen in over 30 years. So uh, be patient, um, moles. And I've been, you know, I've been doing this for what 28 years. Moles is a little newer at this, but has been a a businessman his whole life. So um, you can give uh, Moles a call at 720-722-1559 and me, 303-843-1545. You can find me all over the web. Just, heck, all you got to do is Google Mark Cooper Realtor or real estate. Um, You know, you can do the same with Moles, uh, Coach Moles or Ryan Maloney, And you'll see, you know, you our websites, you'll see our, you know, on LinkedIn. Google business, you you name it. We were out there, so we're all over the the web from that standpoint. So, um, both got you know you get websites. Caldwell Banker does such a great job. That's why I've been with them for so long because the tools we have here for getting your home sold are, are bar none of the best. And uh, or I wouldn't be here. And uh, Moses has uh, got the same tools on his side of town, and we both work all over town. So
0: yeah, at, uh, Coop's at the in the Denver Tech Center, and I'm in a uh, sister office out in. Out in Jefferson County in Lakewood at uh, Cobalt Banker, Denver West. Uh, my family's got 60 years of experience in real estate in Colorado. So been here my whole life, born and raised, born and raised in Park Hill. And uh, it's a great place to live. Uh, I don't know. I live up in Evergreen. I live up uh, with the mountain lions, man. 9,000 feet <laughs> up in the snow. Up in the snow. The Miami boy, he, he doesn't like it up there. He lives out, out east. It's
1: too cold up there for me.
0: So if you're, uh, if you're a flatlander, call him. If you're a mountain person, call me. <laughs> That's the way that works. All right, we'll give a couple of um, uh, numbers. We'll put, put them up on the screen here as we uh, as we finish the show. Thanks for joining us with uh, Somewhere in Between with Coach Moles and the Coop. All right, let's take it up. Thank you. a nice place to sit where we can spend